Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. And I'm Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors, and I am a managing partner at Invader Comics. All right, man. Well, hey, we're going to go a little bit behind the curtain here. We actually just got back from uh, holiday break, essentially. Yeah. Um, we are in, we know, we, we tricked you guys. We recorded an episode, last week's episode. <laughs> that was actually before the holidays, so we did things a little out of order. But uh, Yeah, hey, yeah. Hey, the Making Commerce guys even need breaks, so we took a little two weeks off, essentially, right? Yeah, I mean, almost three if you go, like, recording to recording. You know, uh, again, mm-hmm. we don't mind going behind the curtain here. We, were, I, I think because we had free time and because we knew that I was going to be going out of town, we went ahead and recorded what ends up being 112 uh, before we recorded, uh, I guess, 110 and 111. No, no, one, sorry, 111. That's the January mm-hmm. 2nd episode. We recorded that before we recorded the two part and it aired yep. after. So, yeah, to that point, what that means is we were off damn near three weeks and uh, it was more happenstance, right? Like, the, I think we we could have recorded the week before I left for my trip. But I think you were like, eh, let's just let it ride because we had recorded yeah. so far ahead. And uh, so this is like it's like polar opposites, right? Because uh, for, for the the Gary two-parter, we recorded th- those episodes roughly uh, uh, 17 minutes apart. And this right, one is yeah. like, you know, 19 days apart from episode to episode. But yeah, man, I had a good holiday break and um, I'm, be- I'm guessing you did too. Yeah, man. Uh, so the easier way to put that is uh, last week's episode was recorded before the two-parter. There you go. Um, yeah, maybe so, I'll just edit my shit out. <laughs> no, no, no. Yours, yours was fun. It was like, oh, that's a long way to get get somewhere. I like, I like to see your brain work through things and to see how differently you say things that I would say. Because I was like, <laughs> I know how to say this, and then I listened to you say it, and I was like, oh, okay. Like, yeah, like I see how he did it. That that's works cool. too. That works um, too. Yeah. Another reason why I didn't want to record after the two parter was there would be too much of a gap in between when we started recording again and then the pre-recorded stuff. So yeah. I, I didn't want to get, you know, too too far out of the way and kind of remember and not remember what we had talked about. So this totally. way it kind of keeps it. I kind of have like the set of stuff that uh, I've been doing since we've stopped. So yeah, uh, it should be cool. Uh, yeah. But anyway, let's first things first. I, Papa, wanted to know what you were drinking. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I Boy, I tell you what, I had a really tough time with this because I just got back from Hawaii. And when you're in Hawaii, you, you know, like I haven't been on the ground more than 18 hours since I landed, something like that, just because of the way our schedule records. And I was like, should I, should I drink the beer I got in Hawaii or should I drink a stout, which is much more appropriate for the season? I thought about this way too much and I ended up going with a stout. <laughs> So the stout is what I'm going with. And uh, this is a this is the second I had bought this before. I've had it on a podcast before. It is Dice Goblin Reserve again. And this is a stout with like, I don't know, all kinds of cool stuff in it. Uh, Where is it? Buttercream flavored and whipped cream flavored Imperial Stout. Uh, Oh, shit. That sounds delicious. The Dice Goblin refers to like Dungeons and Dragons. There's actually some some vitals here if you ever wanted to put a Dice Goblin in your campaign. Um, And then it talks about 903 Brewers, which is, I believe, an Austin, Texas brewer. So this is going to be a high power rating. That's what I decided, too. I was like. Let's go high. Let's go hard. And uh, so this is 12% and it's 16 ounces of it. 
Right on, man. That sounds sounds delicious. Um, so we're going to have a combined high power rating. I have a 9%er. This is from North, North Coast Brewing Company, Old yeah. Rasputin, oh. Russian Imperial Stout. So yeah, that's a good yeah, one. Th- that's a good one. Oh, you've had this one? Uh, yes, I have. Okay. Have you had this one on the pod? I have not had it on the pod, but I have had it. Yeah, very good. Very good. But you know that because you're drinking it right now as we talk, as I talk. And I do like it. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. Yeah, so stouts stouts abound. I mean, it is it is the time of season for stouts, and I think there will be a day. That that was a thing, too. Um, we'll get to this later, but I was going to crack open a can of a very special beer that I found while I was on the, the big island of Hawaii. That's where I took my vacation. And uh, I can't wait to talk about it, but we'll get to that later. Right on, man. All right. So, hey, what's the first thing um, on the long list of things I'd imagine you've done since the last time we talked? Yeah, yeah. So I have essentially three or four things, depending on how you want to break it out. And what we're expecting here is these things will just become the topic of the episode. You know, we we went ahead and said no real major topic. We'll talk our way through stuff and a top topics will evolve from our conversation. Yeah. It, 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 I don't know how many episodes we've done where we're like, we don't really have anything. And as we're talking, something develops into the main topic of the episode. So it's always nice when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. So um, because it's been such a long time off, I I think it's fair for me to do this chronologically again, because we basically had about a week and a half where we could do stuff. And then for me, I went on a trip and uh, and ramped down and then of course the holidays were here so it's not like you know a lot of work gets done then um anyway because you're probably ramping down yourself and spending time with family and watching the sixers beat the knicks am i right anyway uh okay so for me uh the first thing i did again this is dipping back back from for a while here is that i finished the script the first draft script i'm going to call it to three protectors volume two I don't believe it was finished as of the last time we talked. It was close. But uh, I, I, I believe the last time we talked about it, I was getting ready to go into that third part. Because, again, it's a story in three parts that goes around the art, kind of three parts within three parts. But um, anyway, so I, I finished all that and, yeah, went went through it. I felt really good about it. And, um, again, it... it it tells the story I think I want to tell. It establishes the larger universe um, that can go in a bunch of different directions. It was great to just knock out that comic script. Again, I was just proofreading it an hour ago. First time I'd even looked at it in three months, three weeks, I mean. And uh, and it was cool to look at because like, okay, I like some of the stuff that was there, but it's going to need an edit. And that's the biggest point of order for me comic-wise starting tomorrow. It's going to be going back and doing another really good pass, a really good edit of this script, and then send it over to Mike and see what Mike has to say. And this is the this is the offshoot of one of your one of your stories. You're like, I really like this, but this doesn't work for the novel, but this could work as a comic. Uh, so in this case, yeah, that's a that's a good good memory, good callback. the The thing that is splintered from the, how about this. In this volume of Three Protectors, in Three Protectors Volume 2, we are going to meet a character. And that character is the character that I have been referring to in terms of this other thing that could get merged with the story I did. So what's going to happen, Scott, is that this character 
is going to get a bit more of a glow up in what is going to be the second trilogy of Three Protectors, which is not even going to be called Three Protectors. It's probably going to be called something else. So there's going to be a Three Protectors Volume 1, Volume 2, and Volume 3. And then there's probably going to be something called, let's say, Three Defenders or something like that, which is Mm. going to be Mm -hmm. the next trilogy. And then we'll just keep going from there, right? So, I mean, trilogies are so overdone, but as we talked about before, like, I named the goddamn thing Three Protectors, so... It feels like it has to just follow this standard trilogy thing. And, you know, we've also had conversations about how trilogies are the natural order of storytelling, right? It's a beginning, a middle, and end. It's an act one, an act two, and an act three. So there's nothing wrong with adhering to that and uh, and putting another trilogy on the trilogy heap at this point, right? But, uh, but yeah, so no, good callback. But that's going to be a character that we see for the first time in Three Protectors Volume 2. And that's going to play a larger role going forward and get some really cool, I think, origin stuff and backstory that people will get to absorb in the second trilogy of Three Protectors. Dude, that's awesome. Yeah, um, I think I'm I think I'm going to stay in that realm. So I did some, um, as you refer to it, I did some big thinking. Mm. And I was doing some research for that project that I'm going to be doing at the beginning of next year. Um, as you guys listen to this podcast, it's the beginning of next year. Um I'm going to go into other stuff, what I'm doing this specific month, um, but for for this particular topic. So one morning, it was, I, I believe, very similar to another morning I had where I woke up very early. Daniela was asleep. I didn't feel like getting up. And um, I was just like, I think today is going to be one of those days where I just want to work through this project and see what I can develop out of it. Because I have some really good ideas, um, but there's the basics that I want to hit, make sure I lock those down, you know, get that on that imaginary whiteboard that I have where I'm writing all of these, you know, little notes about um, particular cultures and stuff like that that I'm going to ingrain into these characters. And um, so one morning I was just like, man, I have some really good ideas flowing. I, I, I really feel like just delving into this world and seeing what I can lock in. And uh, it was it was a really cool thing to do. Like like the most basic of things is the characters uh, characters first and last name. Like okay, well how am I going to develop that? What am I going to look into? Okay, so based off of who this character is, the origins of him, how would you figure a name out? And so there's some very clever ways to do things. Um, and I'm using some aspects of Filipino culture. Um, you know, if you're Filipino, you know, you know what Filipino parents do to come up with names. So I'm not going to say it here. Um, but if you're Filipino, you know exactly what that is. So I did that and that just kind of went down this rabbit hole and it kind of led to everything else that I was doing. And it actually touched based into how I'm going to work the background, like what, what objects are going to be placed into there and why. And, um, it's like, a nice little Easter egg way of putting the, the scenery together just based off of words I looked up based off of, once again, just thinking of the character's first and last name. Um, and then you just kind of like looking certain things up, you go down this research rabbit hole and it just connects more and more things. And in this instance, I'm building the world from the ground up. So a lot of the things that I'm discovering, it's like, well, how could I use that? How can I make that interesting? And um, I think this is a um, technique, 
also that Pixar uses when they're developing their scenery as well, their backgrounds and the backgrounds of the characters. Um, there's certain aspects of those characters' lives, and they'll kind of do these Easter egg things in the background that you would go, like I've seen a few of their documentary shows where they kind of break down their, their movies, and uh, you just learn some interesting things on how they build the world. And I found that so fascinating that that's kind of the technique that I'm using to build this story. So a lot of interesting stuff has come from it. And uh, I'm really looking forward to doing this story. I have to wrap up Second Shift 13 first. And then once that's that's wrapped, then I can I can tackle this. And um, but, you know, I'll get to that shortly. Boy, are we going to have a conversation right now? I wrote down a few things. So number okay. one, did you settle on a name you like? I did. Okay. Number two, I would like to tell the story of my mother-in-law because I am, my wife is Filipino. <laughs> okay. So, so I don't, I don't think this Filipino naming convention is what you're talking about, especially because you're only referring to probably one person, but something that I've learned in my time being married to a Filipino woman is that boy is it a common practice to have all your children have a name that starts with the same first letter right so that's that's something i've seen uh, a lot i see in my family in fact my wife follows that convention my mother-in-law loved ours and she loved ours to the point where she named the dogs with ours <laughs> did i tell you my favorite name for one of the dogs i never got to meet this dog at past no i was part of the family <laughs> revlon <laughs> god i love that name so much oh i love it i love it anyway so yeah man i like you said there is there is a lot and i i have a hunch that that the certain element of Filipino naming that you're talking about, I am I'm going to keep off the table because I have a pretty I have a I have a semi decent guess on it, but uh, you know we can talk about that later. So anyway, number one, I'm happy that you found your name. Um, number two, boy, do I take names seriously. I love names. In fact, on a random thing, um, I did get my I'm gonna, I'm going to get a little sneak peek at my second thing, which is when I got my workshop back from people. So I just started to read a few things about my second novel to, I, I read it to a friend and I read it to a family member, two family members. And all those family members, when I told them the characters' names, they were like, that is a cool ass name. You know, like Eden in particular was like, those are top notch names that you got there, you know, cause she writes and she gets mm -hmm. how much you really need to bake into a name. So then when I got my workshop notes back from people, it was the same. It was like exclamation points all around on the names. They were like, you knocked it out of the park with these names. And I was like, right all, well, all right, you know? So, so yeah, I mean, I bake a ton into names. I think about band names all the time. I, I could do, I could probably do a novella on just the concept of naming and so many things to talk about. Cause one of the things I always talk about with bands is like, that name is so cool. It's so perfect. You know, I happen to think that the best band name of all time is Metallica. And the reason is because it's catchy. Their genre is in their name. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and and it's just, it's perfect. You know, like whenever your name is cool and catchy and it symbolizes your band's sound, that is the trifecta. Like that's what we were going for with Big Pimp Jones. When I say our band name is Big Pimp Jones, you know exactly what kind of music we play because you're mm -hmm. supposed to, you know? So like, I love that kind of stuff, you know? Um, and character names are like that too. So, you know, like that's why I wanted to pause on this 
and just really put it out there to all the creators. Let's let's have no weak naming conventions here. You know, do do cool stuff with your names. You can do so much with names. Names set the tone. Katniss. What is it? Katniss Everdeen? That's her name, right? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. boy, Luke Skywalker. And the two live crew. <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, no, that's that's 1988. That's before he had to change it. But um, but yeah, you know, like there's so much you can do with a name, you know, so so don't sleep. Like, put some extra work into those naming things you're going to do. Yeah, absolutely. It was very important to get something unique. And that's something I've learned just over, you know, the years making comics is is that very thing. It's just like, you know, these are going to be the names of this these characters forever. Like, this is one of the things you should never half-ass. It's something you should really ponder, you should really think about. And um, I remember... You know, like when Ed came on to work on the second shift with me, he just had questions that I had no answers to. And one of those questions was, what What are their last names? No fucking clue. I had zero <laughs> clue what their last names were because it was something I never had to think about. Because I've never put myself in the writer seat. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, yeah, I'm going to draw this and I'm going to write their dialogue. I'm going to put them in a scenario and I'm just going to write the dialogue that these characters would say in that situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're going to react to the situation. So that was my writing technique, you know, but then there was just other things that was just like, yeah, you need to make sure you lock this stuff in before you move forward. And like, I know as a creator, especially when I was a young creator, when I was a young man, um, I just wanted to jump into it. I just wanted to draw. I didn't want to do all of that shit. It was just like, ugh, no, I'll, I'll figure that out later. Mm-hmm. And and I don't know how many years those characters were alive in my, my drawings uh, before they got last names, you know? And it was just one of those things I put off and off and off until I was kind of cornered with it. It's just like, hey... We're going to put these books out. You need to figure this out. So, you know, it was just something I had to do. And that's kind of, that's going at the at it a little bit backwards, you know. So I think it is more helpful to definitely lock that stuff in before you get started on your project. Like the, the art side of it, I should say. You know, you can have your character sketches and all of that. But I suggest locking in the very basics of your story before you start drawing this thing, you know, like make sure you're, you got a good script, you know, the characters names, where they're from, what they're about, what they're like, their likes, their dislikes, all of that stuff. And then you can move forward and it's going to be so much easier. Mm-hmm. The character's name is. Mm. So my favorite part about that name, Scott, it's got music to it. And that's a huge thing for me. Like names should have music if you can help it. You know, if it if it has a good flow, like that's the thing, right? I can't control that my name is Keith Foster. I mean, I could. I could rename myself if that's really what I wanted to do. But Foster is my family name. Keith is my given name. I'm okay with all this. That said, I think the music to it sucks, right? Like the music mm. to my name is terrible. So if I have an option to make a name sound musical in the right circumstance, that's what you want. You know, that's always a good way to do it. I could I could break down almost every name in my comics because all of them have thought. Kadoja, like Jenny Cruz, that's that's an ode to my wife. Williams is an ode to the bassist in my band. Like all these things play out. Kadoja as a name 
was the subject of, I am not kidding, hours and hours and hours of conversation and many words through emails of Lance and Rory and I and and trying it out with people and all this stuff. In fact, fun fact behind the behind the baseball, uh, inside baseball here. It was originally Kadojo. Kadojo. We liked mm-hmm. Kadojo. And then Lance did this ton of research and he said, uh, I did research and like, even though this isn't a Japanese monster, it's an ode to Japanese culture. And uh, I, I, I believe I and A are the masculine uh, vowels that end words and O right. is feminine. So we should change it to Kadoja. And so that's what we ended up doing. And like with a lot of names, sometimes you say it for a while. You're like Kadoja, 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 because we had fallen in love a little bit with Kadojo. But uh, right. then after that, you know, it gets its own music to it. And you you know, it holds up when a day or two later you say it and you're like, yes, I like it. You know, for me. Yeah, yeah definitely. There, there's there's sometimes there's names where you're like, oh, fuck, that's the name right there. You say it one time and you're money, you know, and no. then there's mm-hmm. other times where you sort of, you know, people don't believe in it, but you sort of do. And you you go from there, you know, like that's kind of the way we were with um, the vinyl exam with the name of Sama and I's previous podcast where we were like, you know, it took a little while where we were like, is this right? Is this right? And now you say the vinyl exam and people are like, that's a killer name, you know, but, yeah. but we didn't think it was killer the moment we thought of it. It took, it which took is wild. It's like, it's so cool. It's like wordplay, like yeah. on final exam, vinyl exam. It's, totally. it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, again, it, it, it does hold up. And, uh, and then same thing with three protectors. If you know your Kung Fu, you're going to know where these names come from, man. They are homages. Almost every name of every major character in the story is an homage. So anyway, enough on names, but I did want to pause and really talk about that because names are a great way for you as a creator to get the theme in your story kind of rolling, you know, or or pay an homage to something that's important to you. You know, you can do so much with the names of your characters and you should, you know, it's an opportunity and you should seize that opportunity. Yeah, there was there was a few names that I went through for for a while. Like I was like, hey, I think this is I think this is the name. And the more I worked on it and the more I looked things up, I was like, actually, this other name works better for this reason. Yeah. And because this first name conflicts with this last name, it doesn't flow well. Yeah. And um, there was another last name that I had thought of for the character. And I looked that up and the history to it. I didn't like for this character, but I liked it for a villain. Mm-hmm. So I was just like, all right, well, I'm writing this definition down and I'm writing down this last name and I'll use this later. This yeah. this could be used for another character. And um, it like paint names can paint a picture for you. Um, you know, not not all names, but but some. And so this one specifically, I was just like, OK, I know exactly what this character that I'm going to draw later on Um not to be named, but to be drawn because it already has a name, but it definitely paints that picture. And uh, it really helps, man. It really helps develop the story. Like it can help develop the story um, if you put enough research into it and understand the origins of these names. Mm, Totally, totally. So, uh, So now we're to my second thing because we had a nice conversation there about naming. My second thing is that uh, in the time between, I have received the notes from I think I had already received the notes actually from my first novel submission of my second novel from my um, from my my co-writers and uh, picking up where we left off I had a lot of big big thinking that I needed to finish and since then I have not only finished the big thinking but I have used that big thinking and incorporated all of the notes that I received from my fellow writers 
I have re-refined and revised my first 20 pages, and now I'm ready to go. And so the nice thing, you know, if you look at the first thing and you look at the second thing, I finished the first draft of Three Protectors, Volume 2, and I worked on a refined revision of the first 20 pages of my book. So I knew when I was getting ready to go on my vacation that I was in a good position to either, you know, relax a little bit and let it simmer a little bit more or go ahead and get going because I had done the work I needed to do. There wasn't any really hard thinking left. It was about getting yourself in a position to go forward strong. That's great, man. Yeah. The, yeah. Like we just talked about the big thinking part of the process. It's it's a fun part of the process, but moving on to the next step is, is always exciting as well. Yeah. yeah you got to keep that process rolling. And, uh, you know, once you get through that, then you, then you start the other steps and, and, um, yeah, I'm, do, I'm doing the same for the other, like every, everything that I thought of in the big thinking process, the research process, they, like I said, it paints those pictures and you kind of go, okay, what are we doing next? But, you know, it. first things first again, um, yeah. you know, second shift takes priority. So got to finish that. And that's my next thing. So, um, I have managed to finish two pages, uh, two days apart. So the way that happened is with the Slack method. So I work ahead with the Slack method in the sense that I jump from page to page. So a lot of pages are in various stages of completion. And I just so happened to start a page, start to finish, worked on it through the week, knocked it out, um, started the very next page, uh, quote unquote, uh, by jumping to another one that was partially completed. And within two days, I knocked that out as well. So like, that's the beauty of the Slack method, being able to knock out multiple pages in a week because they've been worked on, um, over time. So I feel like I'm in a nice groove with that. And I actually have only 19 panels left in issue 13, which is awesome. So as, as the day of recording this, this is the 29th of December. So um, when this comes out, what it's just like mid mid January already, right? About second this week. This is of coming January. out January 9th. Okay, so second week of January. Um, and so I have basically the whole month of January to finish these 19 panels. Mm -hmm. So that's the exciting part. Like I, I've talked about on previous episodes, I gave myself the deadline of the end of January. So as opposed to doing a page a week, which would have took me into the first week of March. I've already cut that down and said, okay, hard deadline, end of January. I think I'm going to knock that out. So, but as I mentioned previously, we got a lot of snakes uh, yeah. left. Ah! But, yeah. <laughs> um, the good thing is I've been all right tackling these snakes throughout. And um, it's not as much as I thought there was going to be. There are, a, there is a decent chunk. So out of the 19 panels left, I think nine of them have, it's a hard, hard angle or hard or very busy, difficult background. Mm -hmm. So that's not that bad, actually, if you think about it. It's just like a 50-50 ratio. You got 10 easy panels, nine hard panels, but I'm in the right state of mind, like as talked about with the Slack method. What happens when you reach the end of the book and all you're left is with those snakes? Well, you've, you're at the end of the book, so you want to knock them out. So mm. knowing that they're coming... I'm, I'm not worried about it one bit. I'm actually motivated. And I think tomorrow I'm going to actually tackle a hard page, you know, with a difficult panel just to get one out of the way. 
You know, just yeah. it's like, you know what? I'm going to focus on these and knock them out. And those are the days that you want. You know, that's the beauty of the Slack method is the days that you feel like doing the hard stuff. Those are the days that you're supposed to do it. So tomorrow is that day. Yeah. Yeah. And and as I've been listening to you. OK. Number one, I only have this much beer left. So this is worth noting mm-hmm. that it, that can't be more than four ounces. So I'm what probably 16. Out of 16. So I'm probably a good solid 150 units into this 192 power rating is what I'm saying. So <laughs> so the thoughts be flowing, my friend. Uh, and, and something I have thought as a background noise kind of thought for the better part of the last two years is Scott has the slack method. If I have a method, what is my method? What is it? Like, what do I like doing? And, and so when you talk about the Slack method, I've always thought of what my general philosophy is. And while this doesn't have a cool acronym, plus I don't know if you can ever have a cooler acronym than Slack, which not only refers to, speaking of naming, it not only refers to how you can make the process work for you, but it's got your initials in it. You know, like that's the best part of it. It's, 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 it's two things, right? Mine, while far less acronymy, is basically I'm fighting the biggest motherfucker first, right? Like, mm, this is mm-hmm. me, and I'm proving a fucking point to everyone in this bitch <laughs> that <laughs> I'm going to fight the toughest person first, and I'm going to knock his ass out, right? So for me, it's always, and this is, you know, a learning from my, my mentor. You, you take, I take on the biggest, gnarliest thing first. That's what I want to do. While while I'm at my peak strength, I'm fighting the big monster. Nice. And and again, like you can make it all work to you. You know, for me, it's like I'm taking the snakes first. Like, and again, it's not a perfect analogy because I'm not a huge snakes fan. I'm not exactly Indiana Jones, but uh, but I don't you know I don't exactly own pets and cuddle snakes either. You know, but but yeah, I want to I want to I want to take on the biggest nastiest thing first because then after that it's all downhill. Yeah, exactly. That's the logic logic on that is perfect it's like yeah, yeah. get the hardest thing out of the way and then everything's cake afterwards yeah so uh yeah that's that's a great thing to do um you know for for me specifically it's all about the flow and lack of slowdown so i know if i'm not in the right right state of mind to tackle the difficult things it's going to be me fighting that whole day to do this thing yes. which slows down the process and and right. that's that's kind of the point of the slack method is to accelerate your comics process your cartooning process as fast as possible because uh if if you're in the indie world or honestly any kind of comics you need to accelerate your process as fast as possible because you know if you're a month-to-month artist you have to get these out every month Mm -hmm. so you have to be as fast as possible so um indie world you're on a limited amount of time more than likely you are uh working a day job or you're um if you're a full-time working artist you're doing side hustles that are Mm -hmm. not drawing comic books yeah so you want to make sure you're knocking that shit out as fast as possible and knocking your pages out as fast as possible so you have to go with what's the fastest thing i can do today and you know if you're feeling if you're feeling froggy and that difficult background is the thing you're like, I can fuck that up today. That's yeah. the giant you're going to fight on that day for sure. Totally. Well, and, and I think in a way, this underlines the the fundamental difference between writers and artists, right? Like this is a very he's the DJ, I'm the rapper kind of conversation. Artists don't have the luxury of burning a day. You know, it's like you got to put a fucking panel out and and whatever what whatever panel I'm drawing, I'm drawing that panel. 
You know, like I was actually listening back to um, to you and Gary talking about stuff on our year end uh, today. And, and it was something about like, you know, doing a panel. And for some reason, it really sunk in. And I was like, fuck, he does a panel every single day. Like <laughs> one panel. Like that is what you did today. That is mm-hmm. maddening to me. There's no way I could do that. You know, just just like there's some writer shit. You know, you've talked about stuff I do where you're like, Keith, there's no way I could do that. There's no way I could actually sit there and and work for hours and hours and have a panel to show for it. I would just I'd be like, what the fuck is going on? This is all I have to show for it. You know what I mean? So but I understand that, like, that's art. I'm a writer. I don't understand art, you know, so triple shouts to not only you to not only Gary, but to everybody out there that's drawing, that's listening, that's even drawing as you're listening to this for a super meta experience, right? Like, it's a grind. And what what the difference between the Slack method and Keith's, you know, fight the biggest motherfucker in the yard method is, in many ways, illustrates the difference between being a writer and being an artist, because artists do the, the tactical work on the book far more than writers do. Writers do the conceptual work. So much of my work is about thinking and and working my way through stuff because the actual writing when it comes to a comic doesn't take much time. The thinking that goes into that writing takes 80% of what, you know, in, in anything comic related, 80% of the time is going to be the kind of thing that does not have a tactical output. It goes into how good the tactical output is, but there's no tactical fundamental output that goes with it. Yeah, and and, and uh, I think n- not a lot of artists out there are even doing one panel a day. You know, like like I've said before, that's my bare minimum. The bare minimum is yeah. one a day. So th- unfortunately, there's a lot of artists out there and are like, you know, artists, you know, people trying to be comic book artists you know, hopefuls out there. And the problem is they're not doing a panel a day. They're not mm-hmm. doing that. And there, there's a lot of, oh man, it's all the, the idea of being a comic book artist is so much prettier than actually being a comic book artist. Because mm-hmm. once you start drawing those books, you realize how difficult it is. You mm-hmm. know, it's just like, oh fuck, this is actual work. It's fun work, but it's actual work. Totally. And there's some lazy motherfuckers out there. It's just how it is. You know, being an artist, you kind of you're kind of all over the place sometimes. And I, and I'm speaking about that through experience through, through mm-hmm. myself, like, Oh man, I couldn't, I didn't have one book done when I was a little kid. I remember I, I've loved comics since I was, I don't know, I think eight years old or something like that when I was first introduced to them. And I, I don't have one comic book I can pull out from you from all of my drawings as a kid that I completed. I have one that are like three or four pages done. And then, then I stop because I'm a child and I want to go do other things. Um, or I just get bored of that story and I have another idea for a story that I want to do. So I start that one. Yeah. So I have a bunch of unfinished stories, but like the reason why those were unfinished is because I was a child. Well, I'm a grown up now. You have to sit down and you have to go, okay, you have to push through this. It's not all going to be fun. Some of it is, but the difficult stuff will be there and you have to learn to power through them. Yeah. So a couple of thoughts. One, I think that was the alternate version of Prince's song. I think he did have a version where he was talking about comic artists and he was like, you lazy motherfucker. <laughs> so that's thing number one. Uh, thing number two is, you know, you're one of my favorite lines of yours that you just said and you've said on a few other podcasts. It's it's fun work, but it's work. That applies to all creativity. OK, you know, like like all you people listening out there, there there is no fast pass. There is no easy way. 
you know, so many people have these billion dollar dreams of being like a pop star and, oh, I'm going to be a pop star and I'm going to go in and I'm going to you know, drop vocals and they have it so easy. It's like they don't have it easy. It's fun, but it's it's work. You know, again, like like that that example, I think I just gave within the last month of, of Whitney Houston sitting in a studio doing grueling take after grueling take, straining her vocal cords over and over for, you know, 30, 40, 50 takes of the same song like you've heard Whitney Houston sing like it ain't easy, you know, and, and if you think it is easy, then I don't think you understand the process, like even stuff like mumble rap, it, it people don't nail it on the first take. People don't nail death metal on the first take, you know, and if, if you think death metal's easy, throw your voice in the meat grinder for a while and try to actually do it. You know, like this stuff takes time. It takes time to make your stuff good, no matter whether it's comics or death metal or painting or anything else under the creative world, much less anything, you know, like it's it's fun work, but it's work. Yeah, definitely, man. I was listening to a uh, I, I found I found a new YouTube show which which I'm actually going through and kind of listening to the the past videos and stuff. Um, but one of the interviews he did uh, was with Brett Booth, who is is one of my my favorite artists uh, from the '90s and current. Like he has he has does great work. He's improved since the '90s. Like his work just gets better and better. And so I was listening to an interview with him, and at one point. Because um, this interview was actually from a couple years ago, he was doing ten pages a week. Fuck, oh, good God! Right, like me asking of myself and you, you indie indie artists out there, are you artists out there to to simply do one panel a day is nothing in comparison to what some of these artists have to do, mm-hmm. you know? And, and he was talking about how grueling his schedule was and things that people don't understand about the monthly grind is sometimes you get fucked with like okay he was talking about a script he had and he had drawn he had almost finished the book i think i think he was on page 18 or 19 of the book and i think they handed it over i think he did complete it and they handed it over with the script and they were like oh jeff johns doesn't like this part because this doesn't line up with this so you're going to have to redo it and he goes is you're gonna have to redo a couple of pages and he goes oh well that sucks but okay yeah I'll, I'll do it and it was 11 of the 20 pages good god yeah so he had to redraw more than 50 percent of the book because of a change that was made and mm-hmm. they still had to get the book out on time Oof. and then so it's just like on the indies you're not dealing with shit like that it's like yeah. yeah you might have some corrections you have to do but no one's going to ask you to redraw half of the book that's just completely bonkers yeah and then um like even getting deadlines and them saying oh hey we know this was your deadline but we forgot this book is coming out that week so we need to push your your deadline two weeks forward Mm -hmm. okay so he just lost two weeks to draw a comic (laughs) book it's just like that's fucking insane yeah so um yeah man like being under that immense pressure on doing that monthly grind is is something that i'm just not interested in it's like i do want to do books monthly i would gladly do that but i think that's why i want to draw my own books it's like i have my own characters i want to tell stories with and i'm not looking for someone to go half of this issue doesn't work you're going to have to redraw that it's like no 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 Uh, yeah you know if like i if i talk to mike or something he goes look story's good you need to add a page or lose this page or change a panel no problem can do that no problem yeah half of the book you can fuck off at all. I'm not doing it. I'm not yeah, doing yeah. that. 
Kyle, Kyle, yeah, I mean, I was, you know, one of the things I do for my Instagram page is I always like putting cool quotes up, but to put cool quotes up, you have to find cool quotes. And I got this really cool, um, I have a few that I really like that I'll be posting soon, but one is this killer one by Kyle Baker. And paraphrasing it, he basically says, I self-publish because that's the easiest way to get a book out. I think of an idea, I make a comic book, I publish it. I don't have to answer, you know, to any editors. I don't have to answer to, you know, different people or marketing goals or anything. I just get to put out the book I want. And I was like, yeah, man, that's what I'm talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's the beauty of it, you know, and it's always good to obviously have those editors to kind of keep you in line. And Yeah, yeah. You know. Do not bypass quality control. That's super important. You don't, yes. don't self-publish because everybody that you talk to thinks it needs work and you're like, no, fuck you. Hey, guess what? If every single person you talk to thinks it needs work, put some work in. Yeah, exactly. Take take those quality uh, notes there and, and move forward with it. Yep. But move forward with it with your story, the story that you want to do. There's nothing exactly. wrong with that. Yep, yep. So, um, in the interest of time, how many more things do you have, Scott? Um, I have one, two, three. Okay. Now, the third is something that could potentially be a main topic, be okay. the thing that we talk about. Okay. Um, so, let's, let's, let's save that third thing, and let's just jam our couple things together, okay? And, okay. Uh, and because, you know, we got some bullshit. I have some bullshit for sure. I mean, we have three weeks of bullshit, my friend, <laughs> you know, like that's, <laughs> yeah. that's bullshit. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to get to my third slash fourth thing. And they're really related. So the third thing was, you know, I had mentioned that the, the novel and the three protectors script were in the position where I was in a good place to go forward. So, uh, this was just in time for me to take a, a wonderful family vacation over Christmas to Hawaii, to the Big Island. We stayed in three separate places, and I'll get to some of some details and bring the bullshit, but it was awesome. And, um, and you know, when I usually go places on vacation, it's always like, get your writing in, get your whatever in. And so even on day one, I, I did my writing. I was good, you know. And then on I woke up on, you know, what was technically the first day actually there, and I was like, meh. It's pretty nice out. I think I'm just going to chill. And then what happened was I had my computer in front of me a couple times, you know, almost every day. At one point, I plucked my computer out and sat it in front of me and I was ready to open it because Scott and I have talked about this. We tend to be motivated by fear and guilt, right? And I don't mean that in any kind of bad way. It's like people out there are working on their stuff and I need to compete with them. And if I don't work on this today, I'm losing ground to other people. You know, like while I'm doing this fun thing, someone else is out there grinding. That's the way we think. So we like to get in our our mandatory amount of grind and then we can relax the day. Like I've said many times, you earn your lazy. And so, you know, you could technically name that like the creator's fear. Like everybody else is out here doing it. So I need to do it to keep pace. The thing is, when I was in Hawaii and when I'm sitting there with my family, and I'm ramping up to Christmas and I'm having a Christmas and I'm ramping down from Christmas in, you know, 82 degree tropical days. A different kind of, you know, like creator's fear is really about, it's like opportunity cost. You know, while I'm doing this thing, I have the opportunity cost where I could be creating. That's what I'm costing myself. But it ended up being reversed in Hawaii because for me, it was like, look around, Keith. Everyone here is enjoying their, themselves. Why don't you? 
You know, my apartment had a view of Mauna Kea. Mauna Kea is an amazing mountain. It's 13,000 feet high. It's sacred on the big island of Hawaii. And I got to wake up every morning, walk out to my lanai and just stare at it. So that's what I did. I fucking stared at Mauna Kea. Yes, I could have been creating, but the opportunity cost ended up being reversed. You know, because instead of creating, I chose to look at Mauna Kea or go to the beach or enjoy a sunset or have a drink by the pool with waterfalls in it. Why not do that? Why not go all the way down? You know, and, and in a lot of ways, this goes back to that um, Abe Lincoln quote. I think it's give me an hour to chop down a tree and I'll spend the first 40 minutes sharpening my axe. That's the way I view ramp down time sometimes. Sometimes you just got to sharpen the axe. You know, after about day three, I realized that or day two, even I realized that, hey, I'm not going to set a single goal for myself if I want to look into like either of my things I create, I'm going to, or all of my things I create, any one, I'm going to. But otherwise, I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to ramp all the way down, and I'm going to do the thing that life is telling me to do. You know, and if life wants me to stare at a mountain, or go to a pool, or, you know, <laughs> drink drink three Kona brewing beers by the, by the pool with waterfalls in it, then God damn it, that's what I'm going to do, because I'm on vacation, right? And, uh, and that's the value of understanding that you work hard enough on all the other days to earn this and to enjoy this and to have this fulfill you and get you super motivated to get back into what you were going to do. Uh, yeah. When, when me and my girlfriend, we went on vacation, went to Mexico city, we stayed at a five-star all-inclusive hotel. Um, it was like, I had my iPad with me, but I didn't get much done. Mm -hmm. You know, when we were sitting on the beach, just relaxing, I brought my iPad with me and I would draw a bit and then I would, then we would eat, we would drink. Like again, it was all inclusive, so like all you had to do is tip, really. Mm -hmm. And um, so you could sit, eat, and drink all day long just on the beach. It was a beautiful thing. So the amount of work that I actually got done when I was on vacation, it, um, I might as well not have brought the thing. Yeah, and that was okay because it wasn't something that. The, the vacation wasn't something I got to experience all the time. So yeah. when you're in those situations where you're in a new place or a place that you get to see once a year, once every couple of years, yeah, absolutely. Put the work aside, yeah. take a break, enjoy yourself. Um, and then like, like what happened on your last vacation, you never know what's going to happen. It might strike something up in your brain and you can go, this is the setting for my next novel yeah. or this is this is the setting for my next comic that I'm going to do. And then from there, you're not doing like the hard work. You might be taking reference photos. Photos are cool. You do that on vacation anyway. Why the fuck not? Mm -hmm. So, you know, your brain just starts working in a different way. Even when you're relaxing, something might come across, but it's not the normal thing that you do, but it might be something that inspires something for the future. Yeah. Two things. One. When you're all-inclusive, it really brings back a line that I enjoy from NWA on Easy es album, which is, all you really have to do is point in someone and go, hey, bitch, fatten my ripple. <laughs> all oh, right, man, that's, I got fat there. That's, that's, for that's sure. thing number one. Um, thing number two is, you just tipped thing number four. So here's the <clears> thing, Scott. You know a little bit more backstory to this, so I'm going to have to be a little bit coy with my words. We went to this location and I sit, I'm sitting there after we go inside and I'm like, there is a thing in this room where I was like, that is the coolest fucking thing that I have seen in a year. And it is going into my second novel. 
right? Like <laughs> that thing, that thing I need to write into my second novel somehow. And so I'm sitting there and I'm like glazed over, you know, and I'm just like looking at it going like, how can I fit this into my second novel? And then I finally did. And I was like, that's cool. And then I started to look around the room and I'm like, wait a minute. This whole room can be in my second novel. It's not just the artifact. It's this room. This room, mm-hmm. in a weird way, fits the theme of my second novel. So, uh-huh. Scott, pound for pound, note for note, that room is going in my second novel. Nice. So what you just said anticipated exactly everything I was going to say. You ramp all the way down. But you sort of leave yourself open, right? Because... What are, you know, like, this is one of my favorite lines about writers, but it applies to creators too. Writers are professional observers. So you need to understand, and we've had a whole episode on, like, understanding that inspiration and when it strikes you. It was that moment where, like, I wasn't expecting inspiration at all, but I got it. And thanks to that that thing, I now have a killer scene and a killer imagery, killer bit of imagery that I get to put in my second novel, all because I just stayed open to it and went with the flow. That's awesome. Did you take photos? Oh, hell yes, I did. I'll send it to you after we talk about it. Oh, right on. Yeah, you'll see. Yeah, um, definitely that line about writers being professional observers, that definitely applies to artists that take their craft seriously. Um, And when I say that, it's because I'm applying this to myself. Um, the more that I draw, the more years that go go by, the more that I want to improve with everything that I'm doing. And I find that to be true, especially for the last couple of years. Like, like more specifically, I think my hunger for improvement has grown so and so so much so much more. Um, I think doing this podcast every week definitely helps because it, it's like every week we're going to have to come in with fresh shit. You can't you can't sit on your laurels. You can't just you know. Oh, I'm just going to record a podcast, but I didn't get anything done. No, it doesn't work when you're when you're doing a show where you're required to bring new shit to the table every week. So if you're not working, you're not bringing anything new to the table. And I think um, with that came me going like, hey, and you know, I was in the process of this already. You know, you've been I've been drawing comics for some time now, and it's just like, how does that really look? You know, how do how do pants sit on your legs when you're wearing them where are the folds at okay it bunts it ten, tends to bunch up around the joints around the the top and the bottom of the pants and a couple in between not much but a couple in between and so you you go through these phases where you just start staring at things in real life and i find myself doing that more and more um, as time goes on you know like i'll just stare at my girlfriend and and see what she's wearing and how her clothes fall across her shoulders, you know, whatever, whatever the case is. Right. And that's something that you have to do if you want to improve, um, as an artist, like there were years where I wasn't looking at anything. I was just like, you know, if it's not from my imagination, it's cheating. No, that's fucking stupid. So you, you have to learn how to draw things as it were in the real world. And then you can apply your style to that and make it work together you coherently with your style but uh it's something you know if you want to be a good artist you have to start observing the world and how that works with your art this is the shoddy excuse i've ever heard for staring at strangers crotches hey i gotta do what i gotta do 
This is research. <laughs> Don't you understand? Unhand me, sir. Unhand me. <laughs> I am an artist, man. Uh, so anyway, I was no, not no. staring at your bulge. <laughs> I totally. I that said, I, I do. I totally understand, man. Um, so hey, you got a few things you want to throw throw down, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I got a couple more. I'll just bunch them. Um, let's see here. A uh, quick one to get out of the way. My commissioner finally got back to me uh, regarding the mermaid mermaid commission, and that is out of my hands now. I did the uh, the single line work, like I talked about episodes ago. He finally got back. He said he likes it. Leave it the single line. And especially since I had a vision on how I wanted it colored, he goes, it sounds like you know what you want to do. So let's go ahead and leave it single line and uh, go ahead and have your colorist uh, tackle it. And then so word flatted it right away, sent that over to my colorist. And hopefully that'll be coming back this week. Before you get to your next thing, I just want to mention the beer is completely hit. So for those oh, of yeah. you out there that enjoy my performance on this podcast, I suggest you mail cans of Dice Goblin to me uh, because <laughs> I, I I like to think that this is one of my greatest pod, podcast performances ever. This is like this is like my equivalent of Luca dropping 60, 21 and 10 the other day. This is this is me doing that. And Dice, you know, when I look back, I will see that there was one set of footsteps and it was Dice Goblin. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, so anyway, I just want to bring that up before you go on to your next thing. Right on. And and we have to remember to rank these beers at the end of the pod. Yeah. That's something I think we forgot to do on. Uh, uh, we did it on the first <laughs> half of the two part. I was like, hey, I want to start doing this every episode. Yes. And then yes. the very and then, you know, the very next episode, a.k.a. the one that started 17 minutes later, we didn't do it because because <laughs> we were too because, drunk and running out of time. Because beer and three and a half hours of nonstop recording and drinking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because because reasons. Yeah. Um, and okay, so my last note is we finally heard back from Mike. So we got um he had given us some initial notes over the, the Zoom call and um he, he needed some stuff from us on and uh as far as like where the story is going and all of that. And some problems that he had given us I found solutions to. And so I wrote that in the email as well. I was like, well, hey, this is here are the answers to all the questions that you had. And also, here's some solutions to some problems that you gave. And he goes, those all sound great. I think that'll work really well. If you do that, it'll it'll tighten everything up and, and so on and so forth. Hell yeah. Um, and then he had given the notes that he had taken as he was reading issue per issue. And um, like he had said on the Zoom, he goes, dude, as as things went along there was less and less notes he goes the first the first five or five or six or something like that there was a lot of notes but as you see as that goes on it's less and less you know and uh, it was true and so that was nice to see it was just you know it was something ed and i had talked about after uh, the email had come come through uh, as well i was just like hey the notes came in let me know when you read them and so we got on the horn and talked about it and um you know, we, we felt good. We felt good about the whole thing. You know, I think Ed was just like, how come there's less notes? And I'm like, because we figured out what we were doing. <laughs> exactly. You know, because it was like... Because you know, we got it, better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, uh, hey, we did this long enough. We figured things out. It's like, um, you know, and, and uh, it's one of those things where 
if you don't take yourself completely out of it, you can get very defensive about it and like be concerned with the job that you did. And I just want to let Ed know right away. It's just like, hey, we were brand new to this. We literally stopped wrestling and started making comic books. Of course, there's going to be tons of notes, you know? And I'm like, that's not a reflection on us and what we did. It was just, we were learning. We didn't know. And Ed's like, yeah, like the first five issues were, was prose style. You know, he was writing it like he writes a book. And then I was deciphering that stuff and turning them into panels. So it's just like, yeah, of, of course, it's not going to be you know, the best. Of course, we're going to have a shitload of notes because we didn't know what we were doing. Really, we were kind of just going off of instinct because we read comics for so long. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we came up with what we came up with. I'm happy with what we did. But looking back at it, it's like, yeah, that stuff needed a lot of work. But, you know, like we talked about on the pod, it's about moving forward. So, oh, like, yes. okay, just keep moving forward. Keep doing the next thing. There's some solutions there to kind of like balance it all out. But not necessarily have to go fuck with everything and like every single note that he gave with those with those old issues. It's just like, okay, that is what it is. Right. There is some stuff that can be done just strictly with dialogue to add stuff to the story and kind of clean things up a bit. Like mm -hmm. like um, there's some stuff in issues like eight, eight and nine or something that can be totally done with dialogue change on the second print. Mm -hmm. It's just like, oh, I know exactly where we can fix that note. Like in this scene, we can have them just say this and it cleans it up. Yeah. You know? And so it's just like, yeah, we're going to, at some point I'm going to do another printing anyway. So why not just do a second printing, new cover, add the dialogue in, and then people, then I'll know the difference. Like when people yep. are picking up the issues and uh, you know, so it's kind of a cool, fun thing to do. And obviously something that would be in totality done in the, the master edition. But uh, you know, the more things go on, like the more that master edition gets pushed back a bit mm -hmm. because of those notes. It's like, okay, well, all this stuff needs to be taken care of first before we can even think about getting to that. Right. And there's just so many things going on that it's just like, fuck, I don't even know when I'm going to have time to do it yeah. with this new project coming up, finishing Wanderers 4, you know, putting out uh, Second Shift 13. Like there's a lot of shit on my plate. And it's just like, let's, let's do the priorities first, you know, finishing 13 and then going into this new project and then finishing Wanderers 4. That's the order we have to do it. And we'll take care of the other stuff when we do. Yeah, it sounds like, number one, it sounds like you're coming over to Keith Fosterville on that one. Because, you know, another option is you let it stand, motherfucker. You let it stand <laughs> as a document of the person you were, you know, because right. here's, here's the fun fact. It's all work, man. It's all experience. You know, Gary said this on, on one of, I think, the year-end episodes or maybe even the one we did before. You learn to drive a car by driving a car. You learn to make a comic by making a comic. There are no shortcuts, you know? And and look, yes, there are naturals and there are prodigies and there are all these things. They are so rare, dude. Like prodigies are like a fraction of a fraction of 1%. Everybody else has to do the fucking work to get better at it. And that's everybody, you know? Like, you know, the name that keeps popping in my head in terms of like somebody possibly saying an exception, like, oh, Keith, well, what do you think about that debut author, Octavia Butler, who wrote Where the Crawdads Sing, right? So Where the Crawdads Sing is just, you know, 
big hit of big hits. It's a gonzo bestseller, blah, blah, blah. Debut author Octavia Butler. It's a great story. You know why it's a great story? Because she's 80. She's an 80-year-old. She's a debut author. So my question to everyone out there who's like, oh, well, look at Octavia Butler. Do you think she wrote it all in the 79 years or 81 years that led to her debut? <laughs> you know what I right. mean? Like, <laughs> like, like she did. She did, man. This is her major publishing debut, but she did the work. Mm-hmm. You know, like I remember way back in the day when, and I didn't know shit about this band at the time. I just loved the song. Word Up broke in like 1986. And I was such a huge fan of Word Up. And then there was this, you know, American Top 40. And Casey Kasem comes on and says, you know, the cameo said, oh, we're, you know, we're viewed as an overnight sensation, but we've been here 10 years. And I was like, oh, that's an interesting thing. I'm I'm 15. I don't even fucking care. But then I thought about it later. It's like, it's true. You know, like, like cameo was an overnight sensation that worked for 10 plus years to get there by putting out record after record and getting better at their craft and listening to the trends until they released Word Up. You can go back and listen to Cameo's original discography, man. There's bangers in there. It's just they were learning their craft and they weren't the massive world-altering, career-defining hits that Word Up was. Yeah, I was just watching, a, I saw a YouTube or a Instagram clip and it was like, don't forget Luka Doncic um, played against MVP Russell Westbrook. Uh, in the Olympics, yeah. and Luca was Luca was sixteen. Yeah, and and you you go, oh yeah, he's um, what is he three or four years into the league, Luca? Yeah, it sounds about right. I mean, it feels right? like a dozen because he's so goddamn good. You know what I mean? Like, right? I tend to I, I, I tend to want like to overstate a, his experience because of how fucking good he is. Yeah, but that's because to your point. He was a rookie in the NBA three or four years ago, but he's been playing basketball against grown men since he was 16 years old. Exactly. So, you know, it, it's they're only rookies to us or it's they're only their debut ab- album when we discover them, mm-hmm. when they are put in front of us, in front of in front of the mass public. But it's just like, yeah, you don't see all of the hard work prior to that. Right. You know, the failings before, or, you know, like trying to get to the point of who they are when we finally get to see them. Right. That took work. Right. Again, it just it just comes back to like, dude, if we rename this podcast today, we might do this. We might just name it work to the fifth power. Right. Rihanna, baby. <laughs> yeah. Work, 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 work. You you just work. There's there's no substitute for it. You know, absolutely. Um, all right, man. You want to uh, get to the bringing the bullshit? I mean, boy, I mean, I have like, you know, Hawaiian bullshit. <laughs> what, what could be better than that? So why don't I start with some Hawaiian bullshit and then we'll go. From okay. There, okay. And then. All right. So I'm I'm going to try to hit the high points of my trip because again the trip was amazing. I, you know, through through some bit of luck and some bit of planning, uh we found ourselves at just some amazing viewpoints and vistas and all kinds of cool stuff. But I want to talk about some of the stupider shit because I think that might be a little bit more interesting. So on my way there, our way there, we we were supposed to have a two-hour layover, but weather around the Oahu really fucked up Hawaiian Airlines' flight pass because all they do is just little jumpers back and forth from like Oahu mm-hmm. to the other islands. Well, there was a huge storm front over Oahu, so it just jacked up flights. So uh, I was supposed to be, I was supposed to sit in the Maui airport. We flew from LAX to Maui, 
And then we're going to go from Maui to Kona, which, by the way, Maui to Kona is like a 31 minute flight. It's like the silliest fucking flight It's 90 miles. It's nothing. Right. But you got to do what you got to do. And uh, it delayed that that flight from a two hour layover to a six hour layover. Oh, shit. Yeah, man. So so number one, I had a I had a nineteen dollar Whopper value meal in the Maui airport. That's thing number one. Um, I just want to bring that up to find, hopefully that'll give it some value in the universe because if you thought that was expensive, you should have seen the prices at the CPK there. They were even oh, worse. Um, so oh, anyway, and, and it was a, it was a pretty good Whopper. I'm not sure it was a $19 Whopper and fries, but you know, that was the price, right? That's, that's $8 is the old price, distant new price. This is a, this is a $5 milkshake? Yeah. It's a $5 milkshake. It's a damn good one, but I don't know. It's $5 good. $19 Whopper value meal. Exactly. So anyway, um, on, on a side note, I was able to do a lot of cool like research. I guess I should mention that I, I applied for and was granted membership in the Horror Writers Association on virtue of being uh, the Kadoja writer. That was what I used as my credentials. And I got the top level credentials, which is pretty cool because I think I can judge Bram Stoker's uh, based on that. So I still need to follow that wow. up. But but like the Horror Writers Association, it's a fantastic place with like all these great resources. So number one, I wanted to look into their resources. And that was a great time to do it, right? Because you got this layover. You're, you got a lot of energy. It's nervous energy. So you can't can't really create but you can do stuff so like i did tons of research i researched horror writers association had this long list of agents so i went through them at a first pass like i can try this one i can try that one you know in terms of selling my novel and stuff so anyway that was that was kind of like the beginning to the trip so we're sitting there six hour delay and we're getting ready to board and like okay a fun thing about airlines Right. Like I, I, I love like numbers. Ed knows this. I love efficiency. I love just stuff about statistics, statistics. Hey, I'm drunk. And, uh, (laughs) and, and one of the things about the airline industry that I've read articles on in the past is that the airline industry is obsessed with getting you to board your plane as quick as possible so they can make their depart times. Okay. Guess what the biggest problem is party people. The airline industry itself, because if they wanted to depart you, if they wanted to have you board the plane with the greatest deal of efficiency, they would just board the back of the plane first and the and the windows first and then work their way in and forward. Okay, slight problem, slight problem. The airlines, much like the resort game and the hotel game, is like a fucking Vegas casino. Their high rollers demand preferential treatment. So what does that mean? It means that you end up with a boarding announcement like the one I had when I went from Maui to Kona. Scott, I'm going to tell you how it went. We're deporting. We're departing for Kona. We're deporting for Kona. Fuck you. We're sending you home. <laughs> Keith's drunk and we're going to deal we're with this. you guys on we're our We're going to deal with him You're verbatim. Done. We're departing for Kona. And so now we'd like to welcome our zone one, you know, platinum dipshit status customers. Zero, zero people. No one boarded. Okay. We'd like to now welcome our zone two people. Zero people. Ladies and gentlemen, we are departing for Kona. We are welcoming our zone three passengers. No one. What the fuck? Okay. Ladies and gentlemen... On our flight to Kona, we would like to welcome our Zone 4 passengers, 80 motherfucking people, 
jam on the plane. <laughs> 80 people. <laughs> zero people zone one, zero people zone two, zero people zone three, 80 motherfuckers, the entire plane basically zone four. That is why the airline industry does not have a clue. They didn't even subdivide zone four to board the plane fast. They didn't give a fuck because they wanted to make sure they catered to their diamond platinum you know, lubriderm elite, whatever the fuck they are, right? And then and then continue down for like the frequent flyers and all this shit and all that shit. And so that's what you end up with. You end up with this stupidly inefficient system because the high rollers must be catered to and the people who make a living flying on their company's dollar must, you know, get their their champagne served to them. There's another thing where like on our on our flight home last night there was this long delay, like like people were boarding the plane and then we got on in our usual zone four coming home and things were moving. And then they stopped moving. And then like the, the line wasn't moving. And, you know, my kid didn't ask, but I turned to her. I said, Eden, you know why we're just standing here doing nothing? She's like, why? And I'm like, because the first class people have boarded the plane and they need to give the first class people their glass of champagne or their beer so that they can enjoy that before takeoff. So we are waiting because the stewardess is going back and forth from person to person and taking their drink order and holding up the entire plane. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> like I, I'm, I, I can't say that's true because I wasn't looking inside the plane, but I'm pretty sure that that's how it works, right? So anyway, it's just, it's gonzo, right? So anyway, enough of that. Let's get to like some fun stuff, right? So, um, hey, do you drink coffee? Scott, do you drink coffee or no? Not anymore, I used to. Okay, okay. So are you familiar with Kona Coffee? Yes. World-renowned, right? Like, right. this mm-hmm. tiny city on the big island in Hawaii has a very special kind of bean that, that is grown there, and it is world-renowned. And the reason it's world-renowned is because it's a super robust flavor, but it's not very acidic, right? That's what makes it different. It's also very expensive. And again, mm. I hope I have this right, one of the primary reasons it's very expensive is because it has to pay American labor wages to harvest the coffee. It's not other countries like Nicaragua or Guatemala, mm. where the 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 working wage is that wage is that much cheaper. So Kona coffee is very very expensive, right? So the cool thing about being on the Kona side of the Big Island is that you can get Kona coffee in a bunch of places, right? So Keith developed his own little Kona coffee price index. So a mm. cup, a 16 ounce, so okay, 16 ounce cup of coffee at Starbucks. If you want to if you want to walk into Starbucks tomorrow in California and get a 16 ounce cup of coffee, was it like 4 bucks, 4 and a quarter? It's more like 2. It's more like two. Oh, I, I okay. know I know oh, I can I know I can get a venti at Starbucks for like two seventy five, two ninety five in California. I'd imagine okay. it's cheaper in other places of the country because California and New York are just the two fucking most expensive places in this country. Maybe Bay Area Bay Area too. Yeah. Um, God, I'm like right slurring my words into one like Uber word now. It's like <laughs> it's like it's like one of those German like twenty seven letter words, <laughs> you know, Gotterdammerung, <laughs> right? So, anyway, um, cup of Kona coffee, sixteen ounces. First day I was there, three seventy five. Second day I was there, four bucks. Okay, but that four dollar coffee had a view of the fucking ocean. Like if I if you could build a one thousand square foot house on the view that we had on that coffee, it would be a $2 million house. So I'm not mm. fronting 
on spending two bucks for some coffee or four bucks for some coffee overlooking like the ocean where it might come up and engulf me in a tsunami. <laughs> like it was it was right. that close to the fu- like the lady was just like oh yeah we had a tsunami like two months ago it ruined all the furniture like oh get the fuck out oh of fuck here. yeah yeah anyway <laughs> no seriously so, i'm gonna get the fuck out of here <laughs> yeah i'm leaving right now i hope there's no alarms blaring right so then um that was when we stayed in kona and then we went up to slightly north of there which is like timeshare central it's all timeshares and hotels and a bunch of like seemingly warring timeshare city-states who all have the word Waikoloa in them. It's like Waikoloa Beach and Waikoloa Village and Waikoloa this and Waikoloa that. And it's like, this feels like fucking ancient Greece. Like, do I need to go to war against Waikoloa Beach or something? Like, I don't know how this works, right? So <laughs> you gotta storm I, it, yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna fucking storm those fuckers, exactly. Like, they're Hilton and I'm Hilton, but I don't care, <laughs> you know? So <laughs> anyway, um, I looked up the coffee there. Six or seven dollars for us for the equivalent of a 16 ounce cup of coffee i say equivalent because oh, wow. it was four or five bucks for a 12 ounce cup of coffee that was crazy tourist ripoff central right so yeah, i was like crazy. screw this man i'm buying a bag of non-kona and we're gonna brew it in my room for four days and i'm just gonna live off that so it was just too much and then so then we go to the hilo side of the island for the last couple days and hilo is where like actual hawaiians live it's not timeshare mm. central it's not any of that stuff in fact like hilo is the place i like it's got grime to it son you know like but i like that i need that i look up places to get kona scott how much do you think kona coffee is in hilo given what i just said and given the fact that it's like less popular i'm gonna say i'm gonna say 275 to three bucks so i would think that too scott except it's a bit of a trick question no one had kona coffee on the Hilo side of the island. Oh, okay. Isn't that fucking weird? Is it because it's too expensive and no one drinks it on that side? There you go, man. That that was exactly Rachel's theory. Yeah, that like that like coffee shops don't want to buy it because they've probably found out that even if they buy it and charge too much for it, nobody fucking cares. You know, like they've probably all bought their own because it's a local bean and blah, blah, blah. So anyway, I have a little bit more in terms of Hawaii, but did you have anything you want to throw down before I keep on blabbing? Yeah, um, I actually, I should have done this beforehand, but oh well. Um, I got a couple of housekeeping things from the last couple of episodes, like like we said at the top of the this show. Um, we haven't recorded in three weeks, so we listen yeah. to the episodes as they've come out. And there was a couple of things there. Um, one thing Gary had mentioned, uh, I had talked about Google SketchUp on an episode and he hit us up on in our group chat and he was like hey just so you know on google sketchup you can actually make the walls invisible because i said that i was deleting the walls because i couldn't see into the apartment building and and like when you go through them you have to go at a certain angle you don't get the right angle etc gary's like no you can actually there's a setting there where you can actually turn the walls invisible so um that was great to know and um so if anybody out there listen to that episode and you go yeah hey you I, I deleted the walls too. Okay, I'm sorry. You shouldn't have done that. <laughs> there was another um, way all along. There was another way all along. And another thing, when we were talking about the best of, the episode of the best of, I got to beers and I talked about my buddy who had a prescription box. Prescription box. <laughs> see, I'm fucking it up already. See, see, he went to see a doctor and the doctor said, yeah. friend, you need beer. 
<laughs> and then the I only... asked for the name of that doctor because I want to be prescribed beer too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and the real word there is subscription box. <laughs> so I listened to the episode. I'm like, what the fuck, drunk Scott? It is not prescription. It is a subscription box. What is wrong with you? So those are the two things that I wanted to get out of the way. Um, so make sure you didn't delete your walls. If you did, I apologize. Hopefully you can remake them and just turn them invisible in Google SketchUp. And then it is a subscription box because I'm dumb. Five star motherfucking stars experience that's what you get with the five star motherfucking experience you just you come along for the ride bitch you riding we driving and if we want to call a subscription box a prescription box then that's our prerogative it's a prerogative we well um, five star prescription bring us all right anyway I, I want to talk about a couple of a couple of things i got for christmas that I am very excited about. Um, one of them actually goes with my favorite artist of the year, which was Trad Moore. And he did the book Luther Strode, which I had finally, I had in my collection for I don't know how long. And I finally decided to read it, you know, because I, everybody out there, if you collect comics, you have a stack of books, the two read pile. And I finally got to Luther Strode and that shit blew me away and I loved it. And, um, my sister was contact or my sister contacted my girlfriend and was like, Hey, what should we get Scott for Christmas? And she's like, well, he wants some, uh, polo shirts. And, Oh, he just said here, get him this. And it was a link to Luther Strode, the complete series. So it's a trade paperback. The hardcover is way too expensive to ask for a gift. Um, but the trade paperback that collects all three mini series is about 30 bucks. So it's a total of, I want to say, 16, 16 to 20 issues in that. It's a nice, thick trade paperback. And uh, I've been going through it, and it's so fucking cool. And uh, it's interesting because going through the start of this book, Tradmore style is not set. It's not, it's not the Tradmore that we know from current day, like the work he does with the repeating patterns. It's not really there. There's some aspects of it that have it, but it's not really there. It's more of a cartoony, almost Ryan Otley adjacent style, which which you guys know listening to the pod is one of my favorite artists. So I was checking it out. I'm like, fuck, this is really cool to see where he started off and kind of what his style is now. You know, it's just, yeah, it's not completely different. But it's it's pretty different, you know, and, nice. and, and same with the character to watch the character development of Luther Strode um, because I had the last miniseries, which I did not know. Um, I read the last miniseries, so I know how the story ends, but I didn't know how it begins. And to, so to see the character from where he starts to what he ends up being is is fucking fascinating. It's just like, man, this is so crazy. It's such a different book by the end of it. Um you know, it's it's just nice to see that growth in the artist and the character. Hell yeah. Now that that's very cool. Yeah. Oh, and then I just wanted to say the other gift that I got that was fucking badass. Here, hold on one second. Scott is wheeling around a sex toy inflatable of the Grimace. All right. So I had to get three things. Wait, what'd you say? <laughs> I said you, you were, missed it. I said you were reeling around a sex toy inflatable of the, of the grimace. <laughs> it's true. I have to hold on, guys. I have to blow it up. <laughs> Five star um, experience. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Keith. All right. I'm gonna give Keith a visual 
visual element to this, so I apologize for all you listeners. I mean, but... we've already spoiled it. It's a sex toy inflatable in the apprentice. That's right. Oh, funny enough, it is plastic, the trade paperback, which actually stars a blow-up doll. <laughs> um, and that's what the cover is. That's kind of funny. That's funny how that falls in line. That's the, so that's the kind of this. wavelength that we're on. That's right. So, okay, I just wanted to show you this. Right? Yeah. So this yep. is the standard a standard trade paperback, right? I see it, yeah. Okay. This is a book I already had. Yeah. Hell yeah, man. It is a Jim Lee um, artist edition. Yeah. X, Jim Lee's X-Men artist edition, right? Okay, so you see the, the size difference Hell there, yes. right? Hell yes. Artist editions are incredible, as are the... Um, yeah, yeah. There's there's a couple artisan editions, I think, that are, that are the uh, cheaper ones. And I'm going to have to lean back to show you this in full frame. Yeah, do the rock this away. This is... This is the Todd McFarlane Spider-Man Artist Edition compared to a standard Artist Edition. Holy shit. That's that's ginormous. Yeah, this thing is fucking bonkers. So uh, my best friend Ralph, he got me Todd McFarlane's Spider-Man Artist Edition uh, printed by IDW. This thing is crazy big. It's about... I don't know, anywhere from four to f about four inches, maybe bigger than a standard artist edition. So uh, the the it's at least four inches bigger than Jim Lee's artist edition. And it's just so crazy. I can't even fit it into my um, bookshelf that fits most hardcovers. Yep. It's actually like a quarter of an inch too tall. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it just missed it. So I don't even know where the fuck I could put this thing, but it, it's so awesome. That's the exact problem I had with the, my Christmas gift from a couple of years ago. It's so got, it's, it's a fantastic four reprints called behold Galactus. It's huge. It's, it's huge. It, it reprints just the original like Galactus stuff from probably fantastic Four, forty eight, forty nine, fifty, And then maybe that's another, awesome. Another one or two. Yeah. Yeah. That was yeah, get giant ass Kirby panels. Like yeah, that. dude, that's, it's that's huge. Great. It's, it's hard to read though. Like you, 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 you have to like crane your neck to see the top of the page if you open it in your lap. <laughs> you know, right. like it's it's giant. Anyway, sorry. Super cool gifts. I think that's really cool, man. I think I think people like just gave you some of the coolest shit this year. So that's awesome. Okay, so I'm gonna revisit Hawaii for just like another thing, and then maybe a second one if I think of it. One of the only thing I cared about going to on the Big Island. I had done some research, and uh, so beer nerds know. That Kona Brewing, a.k.a. the people that make Longboard Lager, Big Wave Golden Ale, uh, and, and all kinds of other things. They make a Castaway IPA. They make they make a good solid like eight to ten beers that you can find in any like L.A. beer store, any L.A. Uh, LA San Diego beer store. Um, they're, that's where they're from, Kona Brewing Company. They're from Kona. And, uh, you know, they're pretty, they're kind of like Mr. Worldwide right now, but uh, but that's, you know, where they're from. And so they have a tap room there, but that's not the tap room I went to, Scott. What I did was I did some more research, and because I have a wife who loves ciders and kids who love seltzers, I found a better place to go. It is a place called Ola Brewing, O-L-A. And I believe I've seen a beer or two of theirs in my local store. You know how this works, right? It's like the blue car syndrome. You don't pay attention to it until you pay attention to it. So I imagine if I go back to that same beer store that I was in, you know, a week ago, all of a sudden I'll magically see a few beers from Ola Brewing. 
But what sold it for me on Ola Brewing was not necessarily the ciders for my wife or the seltzers for my kids. That definitely helped because, you know, if I go to Kona Brewing, one person is happy. Me. If I go to Ola Brewing, then potentially four out of five people are happy and Eden's underage. So, you know, that's the maximum amount of of people that I can make happy. And they had all kinds of like local shit at Ola Brewing, including Scott. The Lilikoi Lime Milkshake IPA. Ooh, that's the magic word. It was as good as I just fucking said. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, it was good. And the thing was, like, like, let me tell you, let me tell you how hard it was to get there. We land because, you know, we had this huge delay in flight. We were supposed to get into Kona at like three on the first day. We ended up getting in at eight. We get the rental car. Oh, wow. We're scrambling for places. I see that Ola Brewing has food. I try to call them. I say, hey, are you still serving food? Is your kitchen open? Because I see you're open till 10 on your posted hours, but are you serving food? They never respond. I send them a text. They say, hey, we, we see you missed your thing. Send us a text. I send them a text. Nobody responds. I say, hey, they're supposed to be open to my family. We drive there. They're hungry. They're hangry, actually. We, we get there. Sorry, the kitchen's closed. I'm like, if only you assholes answered your phone. So, or your text. Yeah. Or your text. So I had to turn away because my family wanted to eat and they were angry. So we then, the, you know, my wife then found a place where they were open for food. It was actually called Omeke's Grill in Kona. Uh, fantastic. Really cool. We were like the, we got there at like 8.30, 8.45. They were able to just give us a table and get us some food. And then, you know, like 10 minutes after that, they shut down the grill. So we were really happy mm. about that. And, uh, and, you know, had some stuff there. And then it was one of those things of like, then stuff happened, you know. So, so the next night... I was like, can we go to Ola Brew? Can we go to Ola Brew? Because I'm going to try this fucking beer, you know? But it didn't work out because it was on a Thursday. And, like, one of the dumb things I love to do in Hawaii is just watch sports. Yeah, I know that sounds stupid, right? You're in Hawaii and you want to watch sports. But, I mean, you're you're there the whole fucking day. Like, you can afford watching a little bit of sports. And yeah. so we found a sports bar. And, like, I'm, I'm just obsessed with the early start times there, Scott. Do you know what time I got to watch the Sixers tip off against the Knicks on Christmas Day? Like 9 a.m.? Try 7. Oh, shit. (laughs) 7. I got to wake up, roll out of bed, hit brew on the coffee machine, and watch the Sixers and Knicks tip off. How fucking cool is that, right? That's very cool. on on, On the same note, I got to watch, in quotes, Thursday night football at 3.15 in the afternoon. I... I cannot tell you how much I love this, right? So so the family was like, yeah, 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 let's go. Like Alyssa and us in particular seem really smitten with the idea of watching like football, you know, in, in your flip-flops at three o'clock when it's like freezing rain on the East Coast, you know? So mm-hmm. so anyway, so we did that. Um, and then, you know, one thing led to another and I didn't think we'd get a chance to get to Ola Brew. And then I think the next night we were like sitting around, we'd, you know, we'd, we'd had a day, we'd done all our stuff. and uh, And I was like... I think I want to go to Ola Brew, you know, and the kids didn't want to go. And then Rachel was like, let's go. And I'm like, you sure you want to go? She's like, eh, yeah, let's go ahead and go. Cause we had just eaten, you know, like you're full. You don't really want to do anything. So we were like, ah, screw it. Let's go to Ola Brew. This might be the best chance we get, even though I don't feel like drinking anything. Right. So we get there. I'm like, screw it. I know I probably shouldn't even have this much, but I'm going to have a pint and I'm going to take the Lilikoi Lime Milkshake IPA. And I got her like a cider. 
And I sat down and I drank and I was like, oh, this is very, 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 very good. You know, so 9.5, baby. You know, like oh, yeah. for what it nice. is, 9.5. Just like, you know, it's got that cool lime. It's got the cool IPA and it's just got that drop of smoothness that you get by putting the lactose in it, you know. So by the time I finished that, now I'm feeling good, man. So I was like, well, I don't know how hard in the pain I want to go, but I'm going to go ahead and get another half pint of this bad boy. You know, so I went from not even wanting the first pint to ended up going going with 24 ounces of it. And it was so good. Um, better, more fun postscript. Where were we? We were somewhere. Oh, I know. We we then went up to expensive timeshare land, you know, the Waikoloa warring Greek states, right? And uh, and we're in a grocery store, and they're just taking a lot of time because, you know, at, at the time I think we got into town on December 23rd, you know that on December 24th and 25th, you don't know who's open, you're in an expensive-ass tourist area, you buy food at the grocery store, and then you're just going to make it for yourself, and that's going to carry you, you know? So our whole plan was buy some food and just cook for the next three days while we're in this spot with a nice kitchen and nice plates and all this stuff right so they're taking too long so i'm like let me go let me go just stare at beer right as as i want to do i'm looking there and they got a goddamn six pack of the ola lilikoi lime milkshake ipa and i'm oh, like oh no shit so dude i not only bought that that then cinched that the carry-on i had packed was getting checked on the way home so Hell it's like yeah. you know and so the good news, Scott, is I got one with your name on it. Oh, yes. Okay. Oh, so man. This, this story is ending the best way possible. One with your name on it, man. Christmas for me is Christmas for you, baby. So hopefully we will uh, we'll get to rendezvous within the next you know couple weeks, and I can uh, I can save that can for you and get it to you, okay? But uh, quite quite delicious, and exact. It, it is it is exactly speaking of naming conventions, it is exactly the beer you think it is. It's a Lilikoi Lime Milkshake IPA, man. And and if you don't like that, then you're not going to like it. If you like that, then you're going to enjoy the shit up of it oh i think i am yeah i think i am hell yeah man right on um do you got anything else no i think that's it i mean i could dude i could talk I, about I hawaii the, forever but i think that's a good I think that's the end. best place to end but yeah we we have one thing to do before we end this episode and it's it's rate these beers yes so do you have a rating for your beer my friend i mean this has to be a 9.0 as far as stouts go you know what i mean oh, like shit i mean well it's 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 all on a scale you know what i mean like I mean, I don't know when. Okay, so my when scale. Come- okay, so my scale. So we're going from ten, right? Yeah. So for me, five is average. It's it's decent. It'll pass you. Okay. There's no problems with it. It's a gotcha. C. It's a solid C. Gotcha. So the higher up you go, the that's that's your that's your grading. So okay. a 9.0, That's like a fucking A minus. So that yeah, a. that's a, that's an A. I would say that's a solid. No, let a. me let me drop it down a little bit because I I know what a ten is. I know what my perfect ten is as a beer, and it's my favorite beer, and it also happens to be a stout. So by that standard, if that's going to be a ten, then this has to be like a seven and a half. In okay. fairness, okay, because because the way I tend to rate beers is I tend to chop off the bottom half of the scale because if it's a below a five, I'm not even going to drink it. If mm. if we're rating a beer below five, then we fucked up in our choices. Right. It was like that Christmas malt from the previous year. <laughs> the old I was like, Christmas. oh, this is malt liquor. I was yeah. like, why am I? What the fuck am I exactly. drinking? Or like, or like yeah. me trying to sit through a fruited sour. Like that's just not happening. It, yeah. You know, there, that was another so, thing yeah. I was going to say. I was like, it's a sour and it tastes like a sour. Yeah. So, so I'm, like I'm, I'm going to give this a seven and a half, you know, like, like oh, yeah, it, it definitely, drink. it definitely smashes the buzz. Um, but as far as stouts go, it, it, it doesn't crack, you know, the elite of stouts that I like to drink. Yeah. So for mine, the North, uh, North Coast Brewing 
Company's Old Rasputin, a Russian Imperial Stout, I will give it a solid seven. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's um it's pretty decent. It went down smooth. Um, I had no problems with it. It was highly enjoyable. I finished the can. I sipped on it nice. Didn't make a face. You know, like there's a point in your beer sometimes, and this is this is what affect, affects my rating. Is by the end of the can, you're just kind of like, yeah, it's I'm not feeling it as much. It's getting a little warm. It doesn't taste good. Mm-hmm. It, this one, it wasn't overly thick for a stout, um, which I enjoyed. Yeah, and there was just a solid flavor to it, so um, no. I enjoyed this. So I, I think that seven. makes I think that makes sense. And since this this, this is kind of the, ooh, Keith's drinking, he's messing up shit. <laughs> he's just messing up shit, and I'm gonna keep that in because that's the kind of person. Yeah, I see, am. that's another variable too is the ABV. Yeah, so the ABV mixed with the flavor, and if it gets you drunk, that's pretty good. It'll get you drunk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How's the taste, motherfucker? So anyway, um, I, I think. We're not going to do this on every episode, but I think a good way, you know, like to help me frame it, okay? Because this is how I used to treat record reviews too. I would say in general, if we're like, let's take this responsibility on ourselves. If we're rating something, say an eight and a half or higher, then what we are really saying is you owe it to yourself to try this beer, even if it's not your thing. You know what I mean? Like, let's mm-hmm. say you don't I, like stouts. I would agree with that. Let's say you mm-hmm. don't like stouts. If we give a stout a nine, we're saying you should try that even if you don't like stouts. Like, this is a great beer to expand your horizons on. But if we're in that soft band of like six and a half to eight and a half, which is kind of where we are with these things. I would say to eight. I would say to eight. Yeah, so six and a half to eight. So maybe eight to ten is we suggest you try it at all costs. Six mm-hmm. to eight is more like we... We we recommend this, uh, and then to quote my favorite French bridge observers, if you're into that sort of thing, right? So if if you are if if we're dropping something in a six to eight, then if you're into stouts, you might want to check out the stout we're talking about. If you're into sours, mm-hmm. you might want to check out the sour that Scott rates. You know that kind of thing, right? Just right. just as an idea, right? Like like season to taste in terms of the kind of beers you like. But again, if we get up to eight, we're saying you know fuck what you like. We think that this is super good, regardless of your particular taste palette. Right. Yeah. Shit, man. With sours, if I give a sour a seven, you should probably check it out because you I don't should, like sours at all. Run to the goddamn store. Yeah, <laughs> that, exactly. Yeah. It's one of those things where it's uh, the exception to the rule because yeah. uh, w- neither one of us likes sours. So, um, yeah, man, I think that's solid. But yeah, you have the girlfriend factor of, you know, again, she did this recently, right? Like, oh, I see you didn't have this one. So I got it for you. Hey, mm-hmm. that is a lovely, lovely, lovely gesture. Unfortunately. The odds are I don't have it for a reason <laughs> because I saw it and didn't want it. <laughs> right? I will rate it accordingly. It yeah, will be exactly. five or below. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, hey, you know, like like uh, what was the old kid rock phrase? There's there's free beer and there's Budweiser. Right. Like so if it's <laughs> I, I ain't turning down free, you know, and I know you you ain't either, you know, but uh, right. but yeah, that might mean that that's something's not going to get the best rating. So odds are I'm not going below six on this podcast, but Scott might. Because he has yeah. mm-hmm. the free beer gift factor working for him, you know? So mm-hmm. anyway, good times, good times. But yeah, man, that's good stuff. Right on. All right, man, let's do the socials. Where where can they find you? 
Uh, hey, you know what I liked? I liked on the last episode where we just ran it all together. So let's go ahead and do that. Yeah, going that forward works for me. So socials for me, it's Keith underscore Invader. I po- I try to post maybe five times a week, something like that, four or five times a week. That is me just doing stuff, posting quotes about this podcast, posting the product I I write and make, and also uh, sharing some books I like. And so Keith underscore Invader is me on Instagram. You can also follow me for Giant Monsters at Kadoja Kaiju. And then in terms of web sites keitharfoster.com there's a page on three protectors that is kung fu in space there's a page on kadoja that's giant monsters meet hp lovecraft and there's a web store where you can buy all of those things and you can find me at scott lost s-c-o-t-t-l-o-s-t on twitter and instagram and facebook.com forward slash scott lost if you want to pick up my books uh, second shift minimum wage superheroes or wanders of melisanda anthropomorphic dinosaurs versus humans uh get those at accidentalaliens.com and uh yeah pick those books up i also do the accidental alien anthologies i'm in the 2000 17 18 and 19 as well as tales from the mothership i have short stories in all of those books so pick those up uh on the website as well accidentalaliens.com if you hear any noise ain't nobody but scott and the boys that's the mothership connection baby so hey we all love giving podcasts five stars i know i do i also love giving making comics podcasts five stars but i can only do that once you however can do it once so if you haven't done it yet throw us five stars on on apple podcasts and on spotify because this is the five star mother effing experience and you can treat that accordingly if you're listening out there look the thing that's that's that we appreciate the most in terms of it's a free podcast we happily do it for free if you want to support our books we would love that if you don't have the money to support our books it's okay Throw us five stars. That helps so much, especially on Apple and Spotify. I know other people have rating services out there. It helps us in the algorithm. We all know that the algorithm gods are things that Scott Lost and Keith Foster like to control, and you can help us control them with your five-star review. And you can hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com if there's anything that you want to talk about, us to talk about on the podcast. If you have questions, comments, concerns, anything you want to run by us, you want us to read it on the air, we will do so. Um, or if you just have subject matter that you would like us to cover, um, throw it throw it our way at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, I mean, and so, we, oh, we're, yeah, we're, we are happy to pass along killer, you know, reviews or reader comments or listener comments or anything like that you know in the past we've had these things turn into big time podcast topics and those have turned into podcasts that a whole lot of people listen to so you know we thank you so far for your suggestions and encourage people out there that haven't made any suggestions or comments yet please do that yep if you want to leave us a voicemail on one of those like on an email you can do that we'll play it on the air if it's not too crazy keep it short if you do that thing um but once again thank you for joining us here at making comics podcast and we'll see you guys next week yay yay